This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ying.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest. So who is my guest of this Friday? Well, what I can tell you is Mr. Than Campbell lives in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and works at Hamilton Hyundai and operates three businesses outside of his speaking career. Than is the host of his show, Our Ambition City, which airs live on Facebook and is becoming a live-to-air full broadcast on YouTube. He is developing a magazine and a city bus tour by the same name. He has been asked to sit on a number of boards and committees, including Matt Kidd's New Health Centre Fundraising Committee and the Hamilton Media Advisory Council, which discusses the issue of diversity and multiculturalism portrayed in the media. Than was born in Vietnam and came over to Canada as part of the last flight out of Saigon in 1975 with 56 other orphaned children. Their story was captured numerous times in the media. He has been invited to be a guest on such programs as CBC Radio, TVO, Canada AM, 100 Huntley Street, with chance to share his life story to the nation. The 57 orphan story has been covered by many newspapers, including the Toronto Star, Hamilton Spectator, Ottawa Citizen, Vancouver Sun, Saigon Newspaper, and included in the French Consulate Newsletter. Most recently, Than was written his autobiography titled Orphan 32. Since then, Than has been invited to speak at numerous business groups, conferences, and schools across Canada as a keynote speaker, sharing his story of coming to Canada. In 2014, Mr. Campbell was awarded the Paul Harris Fellow Award, a prestigious award presented by the Rotary for those whose efforts are commended in community building. Today, we will hear this amazing story of the value of family, life, and the power of love. Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Thank you very much. Great to be here, and thanks, Lisa, for having me on. Well, it's fantastic to finally have you here because you uh, and I, we've crossed paths. You've been very supportive with my book sales and coming out, and you just, you're just you a wonderful human being, and you're doing so many uh, really lovely things in the community, and you're always a fellow contributor when it comes to uh, paying it forward and being of service to other people. So it was about time that you appeared as a guest on my show. I'm really grateful for the gift of your time, and uh, I'm really quite fascinated, as I'm sure the listening audience is too, for let's dive in deep. What what happened in Saigon, and, and let's talk about all of that, because that's a fascinating story, and I don't know anybody who has that story. Absolutely, yeah, it is a pretty remarkable Remarkable story. How far back do we want to go? <laughs> it's your story. So you you bring us up to speed. Absolutely. So as people know, what was happening in the in 1970s was the Vietnam War. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was probably one of the longest wars. It spanned over three decades long. And so, you know, it was a very uh, tragic war. Um, people were saying it could have been uh, shortened, but because of the American involvement and and that, it just escalated to what it was. And um, they actually say that the stat is that there's more bombs dropped during the Vietnam War than both world wars put together. Can you imagine mm. that? No, that I cannot. Is an immense amount of firepower 
uh, and destruction on that little tiny piece of land called Vietnam. And so what was happening during that time, especially during the you know, late uh, 70s, is that these babies were getting um, dropped off at orphanages or you know, they were abandoned in, uh, you know, in villages. And so all of a sudden the soldiers are starting to collect these babies and they were left at the doorsteps of these uh, churches to be taken care of because, you know, people were having compassion on them. So what happened, though, is that these orphanages were now starting to get overrun with children, like too many for them to be taken care of. And they knew that the communist regime was descending very quickly and very, you know, um, forcefully down to the south. And if they were to take over Saigon, uh, they would then that would that'd be the end of the war. Right. That'd be that would signify the war was done. They had won. And so they knew that that end was imminent in 1975. And so I was born in 73. By uh, age of one, I ended up actually in one of these orphanages. And so what happened is I was placed in the care of one of these Catholic orphanages with my brothers. But it wasn't because I was abandoned, but it was because uh, I was the son of a, like a Vietnamese general, a South Vietnamese general. And his wife was working for the American army. And so they had to keep their kids safe. And so they placed us in the care of these Catholic nuns to keep us safe, kind of like a boarding school. And so I was placed in there. But then what started happening was uh, a, a, an operation out of the States called Operation Baby Lift. And they started evacuating these kids out of the country. And can you imagine, like, putting this plan together to take hundreds of children into various countries, not just the United States, but Australia and UK and, you know, um, all over the world. France took some uh, and Canada was kind of watching what was going on. And they said, OK, we'll take some, too. But you have to prove that the kids that we receive are true orphans, that they're not going to have, you know, uh, natural families or birth families coming to look for them. So they had to kind of organize the kids in these orphanages to find out, okay, who are really, who are kids that are, you know, are true orphans and who are just placed here because their parents are local, but they can't take care of them. So it was mayhem during that time. And I bet you a lot of listeners remember that time, you know, hearing it on the news uh, what was going on, and it caused actually a lot of debate about taking kids out of their country of origin and being adopted into, you know, families from other countries. But that's what was starting to take place, and then all of a sudden uh, they started taking these kids and putting them onto planes uh, with care workers, and then adopted families would be waiting for them on wherever, you know what I mean? Whatever country they were to adopt. And Canada was kind of, as I said, last to come on board, but they finally did. And so they started putting these kids from outlying areas to the capital city, to Saigon. And so I happened to be taken by a, uh, an, a soldier out of my orphanage, not knowing that I had family or brothers in the same orphanage, and I was taken and they were left behind. So then I was taken from that orphanage in the outlying area from the coast into the capital city, into Saigon. So by the time they got me into Saigon, there was no trace of family. And I was actually selected out of hundreds to get onto that plane. I was only probably about a year and a half, almost two years old at that time. Wow. Okay, so I've, I've got so many thoughts that came to me, so many questions I want to ask of you. Uh, I'll try not to drop the ball on them because I feel that they're all equally pivotally important in which to ask of you, Than. So first of all, um, so, okay, so when you came to Canada 
And based on your cognitive development and whoever's care that you were in at the time, when this started being explained to you as your backstory, your beginnings in life, when did it become clear to you, based on the age that this was shared with you, what this was all about? Like, when was this put into perspective for you? Sure. So what was interesting is, you know, the Campbells are a a nice Scottish family. (laughs) Let's just put it this way. (laughs) I'm Scottish too. Scottish Presbyterian. So I do not look like the rest of my family. So I knew from whenever you you can as a young child, when you look at your parents and you look in the mirror, we don't look the same, you know what I mean? And they were always very upfront, obviously, that I was adopted. I come from this country called Vietnam. It's all around the other world. My brothers and sisters, of course, don't look like me. I came from a family of, I was the youngest of six. So, and even still, my other two brothers, my younger two brothers, um, they were adopted as well, but they they were from the Kitchener area. So my my, even my story within my family was unique and kind of stood out from the rest. So I always knew my basic story. When I was a little bit older, though, my sister dropped off some papers to me. Uh, and we had moved to the Maritimes from that, by that time from Ontario, and she had a package with her. And she opened this package, and all this information about me was in that package. There was birth certificates. There was a letter from this lady, Victoria Leach. There was my, uh, you know, my adoption certificate, pictures. And she goes, Ton, it's time that you found out. These are your papers. These are all your documents. And you're old enough now to take care of these on your own. And I'm like, what are these? And so I started pouring through them. And there was this letter that really outlined in great detail the trip from Toronto that these compassion workers had taken in order to bring these Vietnamese children out. And they described like those small trips that they had taken, but this was going to be the big one. And so really detail of the flight and what it was like on the plane. And it's all in my book. And she really describes my start, if you want to call it out in life for my sister, which was really, really kind of her to do. And then I found out she had sent Uh, 10 black and white photos of the various orphanages that they had brought these children from. So this was just massive. Like it was a life moving for me to see these pictures and start imagining which one could I be? And, you know, is this really what life was like? And I see my life in Canada with a nice big home and beds and all this. And we see kids, you know, literally lying on the floor with mats and, babies being fed like basic rice you know and that was what i had come from and so i i found out probably it was probably about 13 or 14 years old when i got that information into my hands wow what a gift that you received i mean you know that was that was a beautiful gift and i'm sure that that provided a sense of closure and it it provided the insight that anybody undergoing your circumstances would want to know. Those would be the obvious questions that anybody would be forthcoming and asking and needing to know to reconcile within themselves and to make sense of their newfound reality. Um, So let's talk about, because I know a lot of adopted people and, you know, uh, a lot of people vacillate between two different schools of thought. So people who are, um, and of course it doesn't necessarily have the additional um, layer for, you know, coming from Saigon and, and having been placed in an actual little orphanage and, and all the circumstances surrounding that, okay? But if we talk about people having been adopted, and I know a lot of it's uh, in terms of how they reconcile it or how they perceive it uh, or what they make of that going forward in terms of how they internalize that reality, you know, a lot of it comes based upon the age in which they were told, or if some people, some kids were never told, but they found out inadvertently, and then it really messes them up later in life because they don't understand why it was something that was concealed from them. And then it, it calls into question every aspect of their life, their identity, their relationships, etc. But for you personally, uh, Dan, you know, how, how do you look upon this? I mean, do you have any residual scars or anything that you feel has impeded Um, your sense of self, your confidence, your self-worth, your self-identity, you know, let's talk a little bit about that from the psychological perspective. 
Yeah, I think definitely, uh, as with any child who kind of comes from that type of background, um, there are what we call attachment issues Mm -hmm. and you make, you don't, you don't hold on to, uh, relationships really strongly, you know what I mean? And you don't get into, uh, relationships, um, you just kind of know that they're here today. They might be gone tomorrow. Um, it's not that we don't want relationships, but you just don't really trust uh, a lot of people. And as much as my parents loved me, um, it was kind of just an internal or intrinsic thing that, um, yeah, they could be gone tomorrow and, you know, you just kind of move on. And so, uh, yeah, that affects you. Uh, also, there's that kind of sense of, it's just me. You're very lonely and you're very, especially because no one shares the experience with you. Um, you no one, no one really gets you. No one really understands you. They like you. They maybe really appreciate your story. They think it's really cool, but they never really understand what you think or why you think that way. And so I, I kind of went through that as a, a, you know, a youth and very lonely uh, you know, I had friends, but they were very kind of surface friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, even still with family, um, I love them. They love me. But again, it's, um, I don't know. I just see some other families that I, you know, grew up with. And the bond is just that much tighter. The glue that's there is generational. Uh, and you just don't have the, the same, you know, you just don't have the same. And I've talked with other uh, adoptees who feel the same way. And you, it's just something you live with. You make the best out of the situation. You build as strong a relationships as you can. But typically it's the relationships you build now. Those are really, those are the roots that you have. You don't have roots from before. You're building your roots now. Okay, well, I really appreciate your candor on that and your vulnerability, because there are adoptees who, you know, really look upon and the way it's been presented to them is you were chosen, you know, you're special because uh, we chose you, right? Um, You weren't just a surprise pregnancy, Uh, you know, we made do with the circumstances, even if money wasn't in place or we didn't have a great infrastructure of support, but the way in which it's prefaced and it's framed is, you know, we chose you. That makes you more even so than perhaps other children who are born biologically into their families and that being in an intact uh, situation, you know, you're even more so loved than the average person because of the circumstances making it even more perceivably of a gift. Uh, That's sometimes people's, you know, adoptees, uh, how they reconcile it. That's how they choose to perceive it. Uh, but then, you know, I hear the, sa- the sentiments that you've just echoed repeated many times by the other pod of adoptees where uh, they do feel isolated. They do feel a, a sense of uh, difference within the family, either because yes. of the way they look or because everybody else is part of the biological uh, intact unit. They're the person who wasn't born into it generationally necessarily. Um, so do you feel like transient in your life? I mean, do you, do oh, you definitely, definitely. And I, and people would see that and it's very evident in my life, how transient I am. I don't hold on to like, uh, my jobs. I don't even hold on to my, where I live tightly. I'm very fluid and I'm kind of easy going with where I live and what I do. Um, I think, you know, a lot of parents want the child to feel loved and unconditionally. And my parents were no different, right? And, you know, you understand that, uh, yes, you were chosen and you were, uh, you were picked and, you know, uh, you were welcomed into the family. That's, that, that's, uh, that's amazing. But a child who was born in a different country looks very different. Mm-hmm. Um, their culture is gone. Their language is gone. And I don't regret anything i love canada like i you know i've never i wouldn't change a thing about my life but when you don't look like your family and you know you don't kind of quote fit in there they welcome you as much as they can but you don't you're not like generational as i said then you go down to 
maybe your own cultural community. And for me, you know, the Asian community, you don't speak the language. You look like everybody, but you don't know their culture. You don't know their food. There are all these nuances and you're left outside of that as well. Then you really do feel like you're kind of stuck in between. You're caught in the middle. And that's when you start you start doing things to try and get accepted into different groups, right? Mm -hmm. You try all you can do to be accepted by the cool kids or the jocks or the, right? And even though you know in the back of your head you're never really going to, you do your best because you're always trying to have some type of attachment, yet you don't trust anybody to, um, to attach to. So it's a it's a it's kind of this war that you have inside of you and you just live with that kind of going on in your mind. Okay. All right. So I'm going to break this down. I go deep and I go deep fast and I I always, you know, uh, I go to the abstract level. So I know that you have always been uh, a supporter and, and, you know, you subscribe to personal growth, personal development, Absolutely. Uh, you know, that you yourself are committed to showing up as the best, most improved version of yourself. You understand leadership, you understand mindset, uh, you understand, you know, deconstructing old scripts, things that no longer serve you, uh, things of that nature. So let's, let's go deep with this. So when we talk about assimilation from an abstract perspective, and for somebody who now has your years behind you, more wisdom, uh, you know, all the things that you gravitate towards in terms of uh, multiculturalism, inclusivity, uh, recognizing there's a place for everybody at the table, appreciating other people's differences, but also understanding as one and being all connected, we are the same. So bearing in mind that you have all that knowledge under your belt and you have that lifelong experience under your belt. So when we go, when we talk about assimilation from an abstract perspective, when we even parallel this, and I'm not here to invalidate or negate your feelings, I just, for the benefit of the listeners, I'm always looking at, let's shed some different light on this, let's entertain a different perspective. Um, so when we look at, uh, because I mean, there's all kinds of families who, who you know, are intact, there's been no adoption, uh, there's, it's not a foster home situation. It's not a group home situation. You know, kids birthed out of their own biological families in, in the place that they grew up and, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and yet we know that there's a lot of dysfunction and toxicity and, uh, you know, families becoming fragmented and, you know, all that, that kind of stuff. So regardless of what your, anyone's background is, uh, regardless of all the ways in which we felt the inequities within our own parents, biological parenting situations, or the ways in which we were raised, or the things that we were expected uh, to believe in just because somebody professed it to be true. When we get to an age stage in our lives where we can be discerning and we can pick the reality, our preferred state of reality, we can make our own conscious choices. We can decide to do the things that are, are congruent and aligned with our own spirits, our own souls. Uh, we get to, you know, undergo as many reinvention processes as what's necessary so that we can be integral with self. And we, you know, we can be our best friend. We can be our own hero, our own hero, our own leader, our own best friend, regardless of what the, the uh, backstory might be for any one of us. So as somebody who is committed to personal growth, personal development, as somebody who is committed to being solution focused, then, you know, at what point do you say to yourself, you know what, I'm not here to negate my feelings. You know, I've got justifiable reasons for why I might still have abandonment issues or I might see the ways in which I physically don't fit um, or I tangibly don't fit. But you know what, it's a gift to even be here. So I'm going to make the best of my own life. And you clearly have. You're doing wonderful things. Don't get me wrong. Um, but in terms of the relationship you have with yourself and being in a place where you feel at home with yourself, you are at home. So regardless of the lay of the land, regardless of geography, regardless of the, the key factor players who are either in, out, you know, consistent, inconsistent, all the people that show up in our lives for one reason or another that we're meant to learn uh, lessons from, 
And when we know better, we do better, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, what work either through therapy, counselor, uh, your own meditation, the things that you subscribe to that you gain inner strength and traction and clarity on that make you feel closer to being at home and having the best relationship with yourself and you being enough? Good question. And I will, I will address that because um, interesting enough, it was an event in my life that really brought me to that point. Uh, in 2001, I had a near fatal accident, car accident. I had rolled my car uh, in a dark country road in the middle of nowhere. And I was on the roof and I was you know, taken out by a spinal board, uh, put into an ambulance and then brought to this local, you know, rural hospital, basically. And I had to kind of face the question, why am I still here? Why am I not 100 feet from my car, you know, in the side of a ditch, you know, with a white blanket over my and it just came to me. I don't know what people believe or what they but it came to me. I still had purpose. I was still loved and I wasn't done. Right. And mm -hmm. then I realized I'm the author of my, of my life. Mm -hmm. Right. I hold the pen. And part of the, that was sharing my story, that my story can help other people, that my story can inspire others. And who am I to not share this story with the world. And so when I started in that kind of mission and purpose, uh, it didn't matter which family I came from. It didn't matter which country I came from. It didn't know who matter who was in my life. I had a purpose and it wasn't until that purpose was going to be completed, you know, the impossible mission um, that my time here on earth would be done. And so that really kind of lit a fire underneath me. And I started surrounding myself with people who would believe in me and supported what I was doing and why I was doing it. And my real focus was to build the community and understand that family was not blood. Family was not necessarily a piece of paper but family were the people who supported you and loved you unconditionally. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some people call it your tribe. I call it my family. And some of these people have various backgrounds, but they love you no matter what. They'll encourage you no matter what. And they'll chastise you no matter what. I believe that's family for me. Yes. And so I have surrounded myself with people who they love business. They love inspiration. They love being productive. They love being community builders. And we egg each other on, we energize each other. And so when someone has a, you know, an, a vision or idea, we wrap ourselves around that person and we help them do whatever they do. Like I just had a, a contest of, you know, I want to sell, sell this many books and I have a whole community that surround me and help me reach my goal. Right? Beautiful. It wasn't family, quote, but you know what I mean? It, it was my new family, and I love them for that, and they love me for that because I inspire them by reaching a goal, setting a goal, and reaching a goal, and, you know, it just kind of is, it, it feeds itself. So I've learned through that that, you know, people will come in and out of your life for a reason, for a purpose, and you appreciate them for that time that they're with you. And then you appreciate the new people that come into your life for a new reason. And it's not that you use people. It's that, you know, there, there are time, there's just time for everybody and everything in your life. So you glean and you learn, hopefully, from everybody that comes in your life, good and bad. Yes. And what I learned one time from a book is that often in tough situations, we will, because it's uncomfortable, it's kind of like holding your hand over the fire, is like, oh, I want to get rid of that bad feeling inside of me, and I want to move on. I want to get to the other side. And we forget about the, the learning that can come through that difficult period. And it's, not that you, it's not that you want to, you know, seek out bad things in your life, but when you're in the middle of a, a thing, 
a situation or a circumstance, you have to ask that question, why am I here? What can I learn from it? What don't I want to do again to get me back here again? But how am I going to be a better person on the other side? And we're going through this right now, right? And it's like, you may have a period of, you know, woe is me or a pity party, but you got you to gotta step out that door. You got to take that step and you got to say, how am I going to be a better person on the other side? And what do I need to do right now in this moment, as difficult, as sucky as it is, to be that better person? Because the world needs me to be a better person. They don't Beautiful. need me to be so sad and depressed and, you know, starting sending out that message, but they need me to be the best version of me. And so we all have bad days. We're allowed to give ourselves mm -hmm. those days, but it's don't stay there. It is get on a call with someone that inspires you. Uh, hang out with people with vision. And it's, it's amazing when you do, your mind just starts going and picking up. And that's what I did, you know, last week. And now my brain can't stop of I can do this and I can move there. And even your your podcast here just inspired me. Who can I talk to? Who can inspire? What kind of conference could I be doing? And it's it's that we feed off each other and we're family because we want to see each other be the best version of ourselves. So how can I do that for you? How can you do that for me? Absolutely. Well, I wholly subscribe to everything that you've said. I mean, we're so synergistically aligned, which is, again, why you're a guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald and why you and I are friends outside of uh, this interview. And, you know, you said something that was very pivotal, and it's a subject matter that gets discussed quite frequently on the show just because of what the show is all about and what my guests bring to the table. And, you know, you've got to sit with the pain, you know, um, and I don't know anybody who isn't in the throes of ongoing healing. We're all recovering from something. Call That's it childhood right. trauma, uh, call it disappointment, call it tragedy, you know, whatever the circumstance. I mean, there's a million and one different things that fit the bill for what we're all recuperating from, recovering from, or healing from. Uh, but when we're, when we know as well that we're all on a healing journey and right. So yes, don't deny or suppress the pain, feel the pain, maximize being in that space because the more you're willing to face it head on, the more you're willing to identify what the feelings are that you're, what the point of, you know, whether call it a trigger, uh, call it whatever, the catapulted this into part of your story that you have to heal from. Exactly. You know, to the yeah, so to the degree that you go with that, then that's what's going to propel you out on the other side as more self-aware, more self-actualized. You actually are going to be in a real healthy place to show up for other people as your true, most authentic self um, because you're keeping your own well filled, right? Yes. You're not denying, yes. you're not denying your own needs. And, and as, as a human being, we all need to feel our feelings. It's not Absolutely. just riding the highs. It's not all just about success. It's not all about the bank account. It's not all about the accolades or the books or the speaking circuit. It's who am I as a person? And if I'm going to show up for other people, then I've got to be pretty honest with myself. I've got to own my own bullshit. I've got to acknowledge the skeletons in the closet. I've got to atone for the things that perhaps I still need to give forgiveness on to myself right? Because yes. everything starts with self. It's an inner journey. There's two things I want to kind of share with sure. this is that when I'm speaking and I'm sharing with groups, I ask them and, I, and I'll ask our, our, our listeners to do the same thing. Just rub your hands together, right? Rub your hands. And what do you feel? You feel heat and that heat is friction. And so I'm talking to people and I'm sharing, I'm teaching people about what's called friction traction. And friction traction is, you know, if I sit in my car, I had to go to somewhere this morning, and uh, my, if my car did not have friction, overcome friction, what it would be doing is just spinning its tires, right? I wouldn't be going anywhere. It had to overcome that friction in order to move forward. And so that's what I encourage people to do is really understand that friction right? This heat, this uncomfortableness is necessary for us to move forward. Mm -hmm. And so we need to understand, yes, we're going to have those highs in our life. And there are, there are moments in our life that are just truly 
truly phenomenal. And, you know, back to my book, it's when I met, you know, found out that I had family looking for me back in Vietnam and I got to reunite with them. But we know that the kind of the the valleys and the lower days are going to come. So I encourage people prepare for those days, like kind of prepare for the rainy day, have your umbrella in your car for the rainy day. And what I say is have a gratitude list, right? Yes. Have something around you that reminds you of what life is worth living. And so you have your top 10 things that you're thankful for, or you have a book that you love, or a song that you just turn into, or a, fr a friend that you call. Have that in your, your toolbox, have that on your tool belt that you can, you know that the day is coming and the day is here and it's raining outside and you're in your bed and you wanna just pull the covers over your head. And when you finally do put your two feet on that ground, you go, Where's that list? Where's that song? Who's that person I can call? And you change the energy. You change that mindset because you don't want to stay there. Of course, you allow yourself that little bit of time. But then when it's time to move on, you have the tools at your disposal to get you moving. So you get that friction, but then you turn it into friction traction and you're that one step you know, ahead. People think, oh, I, you know, I took a backslide or I'm, I'm behind or back to where I went. No, you're never back, right? You're always moving forward. You always learn something different. You've always gained and become a different person from your experiences, whether they're good or whether they're bad. Beautiful. Well put. Well put. Very succinctly well put. And, you know, and I love the point that you said. I just want to give it a couple more uh, seconds here of attention to impress upon it for the listening audience as well. It's, you know, a lot of people are resistant to changing because changing does mean sitting with your pain. It does mean acknowledging things that are uncomfortable, but we don't grow when things are seemingly always going well right? We don't Absolutely. grow. When, that's right. Yeah. We grow as a result of the pain, yeah. right? The yeah. things that force us out of our comfort zone so that we can level up in our own lives so we can show up as the best version of ourselves. That's only possible when we stop being resistant to the reality and the truth of what we know is haunting us inside and you can't keep submerging it. You can't pretend it doesn't exist because then it shows up and it compounds and it becomes another crisis. Or that, it becomes. Sorry. And that's one of the names of, you know, uh, our change personalities. You had it, you hit the nail right on the head. They're called resistors, right? And there's change agents and there's visionaries like yourself. You are such a visionary, Lisa. And so it's awesome to, you know, understand, know ourselves, know ourselves, and then work where our, our weaknesses and, and move to our strengths. And that's what I love about your show is you're always bringing out, you know, your other people's strength. You see, you have that intuition about people. You see their strengths, even though you may understand their weaknesses, but you work to their strengths, which I think is awesome. I just wanted to give you kudos on Oh, that. well, thank you for that. I really, really appreciate that. It's, it's nice when people see who I really am. And I know that, you know, and you get this too. You know, we all feel misunderstood in different aspects of our lives. It doesn't matter if we're doing all the right things, you know, uh, we're supporting other people. It doesn't matter how many causes we champion or always being supportive of the underdog, you know, always looking for the win-win scenario. So everybody comes out on top and sharing our resources, et cetera. You know, oftentimes it doesn't matter how many good things you do or how many people you help along the way. Unfortunately, there's always going to be naysayers and critics who are going to just obviously default to thinking, oh, there must be an agenda. You can't right. be that kind. You right. can't be that positive. <laughs> right. how, can, yeah. how can you be that positive, right? Yeah. When people yeah, know your absolutely. backstory, they think, okay, well, how can you really be that positive? Well, it's a choice. Yes. It's yes. a choice, yeah. right? Absolutely. And you're going to get the same, you're going to get the same amount of energy to the things that are seemingly not working or are falling apart or are broken in your life than you are to the things that we consider blessings or things that are working for us. And there's, and you said that, I mean, everything about what I stand for, gratitude underscores it before living fearlessly before anything else. It's all about living in a constant perpetual state of gratitude. Yes, 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 absolutely. And, you know, where I started, you know, I guess I lived a lot of my life in that kind of similar introspection and kind of looking at my circumstances. And I didn't see a lot of 
purpose. I didn't see a lot of hope, right? But when that impossible, like when people said you're not supposed to be living, you know, that's impossible that you survived that crash. But I did, right? Mm -hmm. When I kind of superseded what was supposed to be and that impossible was made possible, hope started to grow in my, my heart, my life, and in my, my, my view. And so that's where, you know, there is hope for a better life. Life doesn't have to stay this way. And I started getting into that kind of thematic uh, well-being in my life of hope. And so it tied in with my, my uh, you know, my book. And you, when you see, you know, some people call them miracles. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. But, you know, meeting my birth family, uh, doing a DNA test that I never even imagined that it was possible to do this, and getting the results of a 99.999% with this other man who lives across the uh, part of the world, and then finding out that there was a birth family still looking for me 32 years later, you know, that impossibility becoming possible. Uh, nothing in my life right now can say, oh, you know, that's impossible. No way. I, I you know, I just don't Beautiful. believe it because I've seen it. Mm-hmm. And so when I share my story, I'm out there, people, they live vicariously through my story. And I don't know what circumstances they may be coming, but they come up to me afterwards and they say, you know, you've, you've opened the door of hope. You've opened the window of hope into my life. You, you shine that spark of light that maybe this isn't how life has to be. It can be different. I don't know how it's going to be different. and No one does. But there's that chance. You just open that chance of life can be better. Life can be different. And if I can do that, you know, through this interview, um, I'd love to talk with people. They can connect with me, you know, through my socials. And I know that you're going to be listing those. Um, I love hearing people's stories. I was going this way and my life turned around and now I'm this way. Right. And I love hearing stories of impossible things being made possible. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, you just by by saying it like that and using that as the metaphor, I mean, that's what underscores um, resiliency. That's what underscores what is the deeper meaning? What is this here to teach me? Right. And no matter how painful a situation is, there's always some level of brightness, lightness, uh, you know, storytelling message in which you're supposed to receive and going forward as part of the continuum of your own uh, continual growth and momentum uh, and showing up for other people. So you've just, you, you kind of encapsulated that very beautifully and I appreciate that. And so being cognizant of time, my friend, I want to quickly give you the opportunity where and how can people reach out to you and congratulations on your book. Where can people find your book? Thank you. I am so honored that this book has sold over 6,000 copies now and is now considered, you know, uh, one of Canada's bestsellers, which is a real milestone for me. And now we have a children's book as well. And they can find both at uh, Tan, T-H-A-N-H, Campbell.com. They can find me on Instagram and, of course, Facebook. I live on Facebook, Uh, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, You can find me, T-H-A-N-H, Campbell. And, you know... It, I have a podcast called Urban Ambition, and I have a show on Facebook called Ambitious City because I love sharing other people's stories. And I thank you, Lisa, for having me on, getting a chance to share just a little bit of my story. And sometimes when I am sharing it, I am actually kind of having a little bit of an out-of-body experience. I'm like, I can't believe I'm telling people this story because it <laughs> sounds so unreal the way it it happened and yet this is my story and it's been verified that it's my story so you know i live out of gratitude that i get the story to share and hopefully inspire and when you have like big football kind of player high school students come up to you and say can i have a hug because you changed my life today you know that that one life you've changed could be a life saved as well uh and that's that's what it's all about being able to really inspire people to to live another day. This is how I always end. I say, stick around to, till tomorrow. You never know. Tomorrow might be the best day of your life. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, again, I, I couldn't be more happy for you. I couldn't be more proud of you or proud to know you. 
Um, I think what you've done with your life in terms of it being purposeful and being meaningful and it being deliberate, I mean, you're very intentional in what you do. You're very intentional in what you say. Um, and that comes from a lot of hard work and that comes from being consciously awake, right? You've chosen to be awakened. You've, you've chosen not to take this gift of life for granted. And And you, I mean, because everybody can latch on to a multitude or a plethora of things in which they want to do. And there's no judgment. There's no hierarchy in terms of what certain people elect to do with the rest of their lives being more, uh, in, in today's culture of what we're now deeming to be essential. Right. And we appreciate our essential workers, but I mean, whatever makes you jazzed up, whatever (laughs) is in alignment with who you are, but to know that the, the added bonus to that is your message being so key and, and pivotal where it can, in fact, transcend to saving lives. It does infuse and inspire hope in other people who, for whatever their path or situation in life or their current circumstances coming upon listening to you speak or reading your book or just knowing who you are as a community member and having a lot of influence in the community for good and for the collective, uh, to know that you know they can look at your example and go, you know what, not only do I feel more uplifted. Not only do I feel like something is possible, and even if I don't know the answers, and even though I don't have this all figured out right now, I just know in this particular moment, I feel better than I did prior to coming into contact with you or reading your book or hearing you speak. And that's that's why I think we all have a responsibility because everything we say is an advertisement into the window of our soul. And so if we say that we're here to uplift people, we're here to encourage people, we're here to inspire people, people are looking and listening, whether you're aware of that or not. Some people make their presence very clear as to who's subscribing to your message. Other people, they're more comfortable being in the background, but they're still listening. And, you know, and it might be those particular people who are feeling more despondent or more depressed or more desperate or whatever the case may be. So it's very important for you, for all of us to figure out what is our purpose here? What are we here to do and how how can we make it be for good? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and I don't want people to I don't want to lull people into a false reality where I live in this beautiful, you know, castle in the sky and I'm not in touch with reality. I have months where you don't know when your insurance payments is gonna come or if rent's gonna be paid. You know, those are hard things, but you can't stay there. And it's it's uh, being able to have the strength to ask for help and mm-hmm. look for help. Because when you have the strength to say, I need help then you have then then that's opening the door to saying there you just acknowledging that there is something that out there that can actually help you right just acknowledging that you need help says in your mind there's help out there i just don't know where it is so but when you're just lying there saying there's no help and you just keep on kind of going into despair then that's the reality you're going to be bringing to you upon yourself so stick with the you know understanding there are people who love you. There are people who care for you. They, you might not even know who they are right now, but there are people. And if there is someone who's listening right now, please don't just sit there in silence. Reach out to myself. Reach out to Lisa. And we will get through this together and many other situations that come upon us. Beautiful. I love that you said that. Thank you so much for saying that to my listeners and the podcast subscribers. I really appreciate that. Um, because, you know, it is about being part of the solution. It is about teaming up, right? It's about humanity up. It's about up, 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 uplifting people's spirits, uplifting people's hope, uplifting everything in terms of, you know, operating from a high vibrational level and knowing that right. we all uniquely bring our own wisdom, experiences, uh, skills, talents, messaging, branding, whatever to the table. And there's always going to be at least one person who is receptive to, to benefiting from it, right? Who's going to take that leap of faith with you. And I also appreciate what you had said. And we talk about that quite extensively on the show too. And I do in any platform that's afforded to me to reinforce and underscore the message. Vulnerability is a strength. It is not a weakness to ask for help. And it is not a weakness to be forthcoming or transparent to the degree that you are struggling, right? 
nobody wants to sit by and idly let somebody suffer in silence. So when but somebody has the courage to come forward, knowing how difficult of a task it is and how emotionally it might be a feat for them to say, no matter the persona of how people might think I'm strong, I, in this particular moment, or because of these particular sets of circumstances that I'm having a hard time rising out of on my own, I'm asking for help. Mm-hmm. So when somebody, when it's a privilege, when somebody seeks you out to ask you for help, do yes. not ever turn your back on people. That is not the time to disconnect, disengage or silence or make people feel like they made a mistake in doing that because you never know with that being your particular response, what that, that then, then does to another person. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm going to end my part on this because I know you need to end. So I just say, be awesome, be amazing, and always hope. Beautiful. Well, and you embody all of that. So my friend, I want to thank you for the gift of your time. Very quickly again, where can people reach out to you and where can people get your book? So you can find me on Instagram, uh, Facebook. uh, All the socials is just Ton Campbell, T-H-A-N-H. Campbell, two silent H's there. And then you can go to my website, toncampbell.com. I help people pronounce my name, Wonton Campbell Soup. <laughs> so, it's, <laughs> so it's ton, T H A N H, Campbell.com. Beautiful. Well, I want to thank you for the gift of your time. You brought a lot of, you unpacked a lot of beautiful, very pivotal, profound messaging, which I know is going to resonate, no doubt, with the listening audience and the podcast subscribers. And you, my friend, are always welcome to come back with an open standing invitation because no doubt for the ways in which you're committed to your own perpetual ongoing growth and development, there's there's going to be a new book, there's going to be a speaking circuit, there's going to be all kinds of yummy things that you're going to want to impart to the listening audience. And uh, I would love to provide you with the platform on which to do so because that's a win-win for everybody. So I want to thank you for living fearlessly and I want to thank you for living fearlessly with me lisa mcdonald on living fearlessly so to the listening audience i want to thank you as well for the gift of your time i don't take anything lightly or or for granted and particularly in the current times that we sit in i hope everybody's safe healthy and feeling uplifted i'm very clear on my purpose my purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more until next friday when we're joined by yet another phenomenal guest i want to wish you all my best love and gratitude take care bye-bye Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero. Be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.